Ski, Shoot, Repeat, a biathlon podcast, hosted by Lizzie Boyle. Episode 9. It takes two, or more. The second son of Odin was named Balder. He was handsome, so handsome that he seemed to glow with a radiant light. He was fair-skinned and fair-haired, softly spoken, gracious, and a good judge of things that needed to be judged. He was also doomed. He and his mother, the goddess Frigg, both had a dream that he would die. To protect him, Frigg cast a charm that made him invulnerable to everything, except one thing, mistletoe. Perhaps it was just too small a thing to worry about. Who could possibly be killed by mistletoe? Frigg and Balder reckoned without Loki, the mischief maker. He got wind of this vulnerability of Baldur's and came up with a plan. Baldur had a younger brother, Hodder. Hodder was strong, but blind. The young, laddish gods had a game that they played. They would stand in a ring and throw things at Baldur, who would be unharmed by them. One day, Loki placed a spear, or perhaps an arrow, into the hands of Hodder. Hodder said, I can't see Baldur. I can't throw this. Loki helped him to aim, and Hodder threw the spear. It hit Balder, and killed him. For Loki had made a spear of mistletoe, knowing that it would kill the god who was supposed to be invulnerable. It wasn't the first time that a brother killed a brother. Romulus and Remus were twins who agreed to found a city, but couldn't agree on where it should be built. They asked the gods for help, fought over the result, and Romulus killed Remus. The city of Rome was built on the site of Romulus' choosing. Cain was a farmer, whilst his younger brother Abel was a shepherd. They both offered sacrifices to God, who preferred the sheep to the wheat. Cain was annoyed at this, so he killed Abel. For this, he was cast out, told that he would never be able to farm again, and sent into exile. He was also given a mark so that other men would know him, and would not seek vengeance. He would have to live forever with what he had done. For much of our mythology and our history, we have tales of siblings, usually brothers, feuding and fighting and killing one another. Sisters tend to be caught up as bystanders, or as reasons for a battle, but occasionally they get bloody too. Even recently, the dark side of sibling rivalry is on display, whether it's Judge Dredd, The Godfather, or Game of Thrones. Fortunately, and despite the presence of guns, Biathlon has not seen any instances of this type as violence as far as I know. What we see instead are examples of brothers and sisters competing in the same sport, often with great success. Over the last few weeks, we have seen the Beau brothers, the Erberg sisters, the Chevaliers, the Gasparins and the Claudes, all competing and all achieving levels of success. So the question this week, despite the gory start, is this. Why are there so many siblings in sport? And how does having a brother or sister in the same sport help or harm you? Before we start, let's look back at last week's racing in Andholtz. Andholtz looked beautiful. It really is one of the most epic scenes in the calendar, and it had a proper dumping of snow, so we had the wintry landscape that we all wanted. The crowds were also highly motivated and showed great support to everyone, regardless of nationality. 
The women's sprint kicked things off and it was great fun for a lot of reasons. The prone shooting didn't throw up too many problems, but a lot of biathletes struggled with the stand. Occasional gusts of wind and the effects of racing at altitude causing more fatigue than normal. A lot of familiar names made it to the top 10, but there was a big cheer from the Italian faithful when Dorothy Avira crossed the line to take the win. They then held their breath whilst racer number 60, Chloe Chevalier, shot clear and came within two seconds of taking the win. A great second place for her following her sister's mass start podium last week, and to be honest, Chloe's the reason that this week's topic is all about sisters and brothers. Third went to another sister, Elvira Erberg, who had her shooting form back, but lacked her usual ski speed. An in-form Elvira would have won that race by some margin. Excitingly for the French, they had four races in the top 10, and excitingly for everyone else, speedster Anna-Maria Lampich of Slovenia was back in action. She shot eight out of 10 and finished fifth. The men's sprint ended with the winner we all expected, Johannes Tingisbo, adopting a new tactic this week. He just went for it from the gun and skied as fast as he could. This gave him enough of a lead that he could shoot 9 out of 10 and still win by more than 30 seconds. His brother Taye, because we're talking brothers and sisters this week, missed 3 and finished 14th. Some other exciting names in the top 10, Martin Ponsedoma of Sweden found some ski speed and shot 9 out of 10 to finish 2nd. Roman Rees of Germany came 4th and the returning Emilian Jacqueline looked happy to shoot 9 out of 10 and finish 6th. The pursuits on Saturday were characterised by a lot of poor shooting. We had a lot of people missing 4, 5 or 6 shots out of 20. Perhaps fatigue from the previous day's racing, combined with altitude and those occasional gusts of wind. So it was those that could hold their nerve on the range that made the most progress. In the women's race, Denise Hermanvik came first with 18 out of 20 in good speed. Behind her, in a great second place, was Lisa Vitozzi, moving up from 12th, who shot 20 out of 20 and made the Italian crowd happy again. The Erberg sisters finished third and fourth, with Elvira winning their shooting match, but Hannah having more speed on the snow. The men's pursuit saw a shuffling of the order from the sprint, with the Norwegians moving the way forward and ending with four in the top 10. Johannes won with 18 out of 20. The German team seemed to be edging their way to form, and there was a great result for Switzerland with both Nicholas Hartweg and Sebastian Stalder shooting 19 out of 20 and finishing in the top 10. Sunday was relay day. The French women, including the Chevalier sisters, had an amazing day, bouncing back from a bad pursuit and only missing two out of 40 targets during the race. They won by a country mile from Sweden and Germany. As for the men's relay, it was never not going to be Norway who took the win, so the excitement was further back. France managed to hold it together, an impeccable third leg from Emilia and Jacqueline gave Canton Fionnier enough margin to make a few mistakes and still finish second. Germany solidified their weekend with third, and are looking good for podium placements when we get to the World Championships in a couple of weeks' time. Back to our theme. You'll hear names coming up again and again in this sport. Beau, Chevalier, Oberg, the three Gasparin sisters, three Claude brothers. It's like many other sports, the Brownleys in triathlon, the Preich family in ski jumping, the Mannings in American football. So what's going on? Is it that the family that plays together stays together? What's the psychology of relationships between siblings that can lead to sporting success or failure? Let's see what we can find out. 
Research identifies three stages in the development of a young athlete within a family. Sampling, specialising and investment. Sampling is about trying lots of things, with the parental role being about support, a sense of freedom, maximising the fun and not putting too many strict routines in place. It's associated with the ages of 6 to 13 and is about parents getting their children interested in sports and activity in general. There's research from Europe and the US which suggests that children who play multiple sports will then go on to have better elite, specialised careers. This could be because playing multiple sports is associated with a wider range of physical and competitive stimuli, that it's less boring, or that there's more socialising to be done, which may or may not appeal to the young athlete in question. There is a point in the sampling phase, though, where the child's potential to go further has to be spotted, whether by a parent or a coach. This might be because of the child's results, or because of something else, their motivation or determination, for example. Specialising is the next stage of real dedication for the emerging athlete and their parents. It's typically between the ages of 13 and 15, and it's the point where there's an increasing focus on one or two sports and a more specialised set of skills development and training. This is also where the hours increase. Sports will demand more time outside of school, and this could include very early mornings for things like rowing and swimming. Practice is still seen as fun though, and rewarding in itself. If it's not, then the young athlete will stop and do something more exciting. Here's also where the financial cost of sporting participation starts to rise. These sporting activities are less about what might be provided by a school or community, and more about getting access to specialised coaching, equipment or facilities. Family income is a factor here, but more so is the willingness to make sacrifices for the family on behalf of the child. This is also a time when parents get more directly involved with the sport, be it as coaches or volunteers. And it's the time when having an older sibling progressing in the same sport can be really influential. I'll come back to this shortly. The final stage is investment, and that's the point where your child is a junior athlete at a pre-elite or elite level, and there's a change in how the family operates. It's a time of real focus and commitment for the athlete, intense training, and a greater role for the family in terms of logistics, support, career management, and even some coaching. It's potentially also a time of upheaval, upheaval for everyone. To compete at that level, you need to travel, perhaps internationally. Parents may need to change their career paths, move house, or find funding to keep the momentum going. It's also the peak time for emotional support. The young athlete will be facing new stresses, new experiences, and new levels of competition. Perhaps they've never lost before. Perhaps they've never been injured. Having the safe sanctuary of family for emotional support is crucial to sustaining self-belief and motivation. This is also a risky time for those not on the elite pathway. It can feel like every penny and every ounce of support is being directed towards one child, and other siblings may feel jealous or left out. The research also found what they called a complex family environments, which are beneficial to young athletes. Now these provide a mix of both integration and differentiation. Integration is about a family environment which is stable, consistent and connected, so that all children feel supported. Differentiation is about each child feeling that they are free to choose their own path, even if that path is something that one of their parents or their brother or sister already follows. So what about following in the footsteps of a brother or sister? While research across elite athletes in 33 different sports 
found that younger siblings tended to outperform their older siblings. In fact, being a younger child meant you were actually more likely to become an elite athlete than if you were older. A study of players in the US national soccer teams, both women's and men's, found that 75% of players were younger siblings, 20% were older, and just 5% were only children. In tennis, we all know that Venus Williams was the number one in the world until her little sister Serena came along and became the number one of all time. About two-thirds of younger siblings outperform their older sibling when they play the same sport professionally. Perhaps the prime biathlon example of a younger sibling going beyond an elder is Martin Foucard. His older brother, Simon, was a five-time world championship medalist, the winner of the individual World Cup in 2011, and a three-time Olympian. Suffice to say, he was a pretty good biathlete. And then along came his little brother. Four years younger, Martin came into the World Cup just as his brother was reaching the peak of his success. At the 2010 Olympics, Simon Foucard was a favourite who had a bad performance, whilst newcomer Martin had no pressure and won a silver in the pursuit. Just one year later, Simon finished seventh in the World Cup standings, Martin finished fifth. In the year that Simon won the individual World Cup 2011, Martin won the World Cups for sprint and pursuit and the overall Crystal Globe for the best biathlete of the season. Martin went on to win pretty much everything during the mid-2010s and is arguably the best male biathlete the sport has ever seen. So, if you're Simon Foucard, how does that feel? In an interview published on Biathlon World, he said... It's never easy to be the older sibling and lose to your younger brother or sister. The feelings are mixed. Of course, you're happy about your young brother's success. On the other hand, as a top athlete, you want to be the one that is the more successful. In the beginning, it was not easy to accept that my younger brother was more talented and more successful than me. After the 2010 Olympics, Simon says, I was only obsessed with being better than Martin. I kept comparing myself to him, tried to be better than him, but it never really happened again. In that period, there was tangible tension in our relationship. I started to be myself only in 2012, and it turned out to be my best season in the World Cup. I was suddenly aware that as much as he learned from me from a young age, as I was the one who picked the career of an elite sportsman in a family with no background in competitive sport, I can now learn from him. I stopped comparing myself to him and focused on fulfilling my potential again, and just being the best version of myself. I had to put my ego aside and accept that Martin could be better and already is better than me. I could also see that, in fact, he was better than anybody, that he's perhaps the best winter athlete of all time, and that he started biathlon because of me, that I opened the doors for him. It would be fascinating to hear a conversation between Simon Foucard, brother of Martin, Dag Bjorndalen, older brother of Ole, and Tayebo, older brother of Johannes. So how does this happen? Why do younger siblings outperform their older brothers or sisters? Well, firstly, there's the fact of seeing a sport being played and joining in. This has been a big factor in sports like women's cricket and women's soccer, where playing with a big brother has inspired some very successful careers. And you can imagine that if your big sister is going to biathlon club every weekend, it's exciting for you and more convenient for your parents if you decide to go along too. The more success the older child has, the more likely that the younger will follow into the same sport. 
Research in the UK found that elite athletes were more likely to have a sibling in the same sport, whilst the siblings of non-elite athletes will be found playing different sports. The family's investment in the first child's success, whether that's travelling to practice, buying equipment or cheering from the sidelines, has a spillover effect into the participation and potentially success of the next child. Older children give younger siblings someone to learn from and someone to compete against. This is often in informal and cooperative environments, playing in the garden or the street, for example. The science around talent development in sports suggests that children learn and grow as much from cooperative informal play as from formal competitive sporting environments like clubs. In fact, this lack of access to informal play is seen as a reason why lone or only children tend to be less likely to be successful at certain sports. The older child often brings more formal drills and routines into play, things that they have learned at a sports club or at school, for example, giving the younger child earlier access to more formal sporting development, as well as that important informal context for play. Older siblings have their patterns of behaviour set by adults, when to get up, when to go to bed, when to do homework, when to play, whilst younger siblings gain a lot of this knowledge from their brothers or sisters. This can lead to conformity, doing what your big brother does, or rebellion, or a combination of both. In fact, research suggests that younger siblings train harder and prepare for competition more thoroughly when they're going to be competing against their older brother or sister. Older siblings also provide someone for the younger child to lose to, and it turns out that the experience of losing is really important in those early years. If you win all the time, you rest on your assumption that you're good enough. If you lose a lot, then you know you have to get better, so you learn more. Losing is good for you. The other element is physical maturity. As a younger child, you probably don't have the same physical strength, height or stamina as your older sibling, so you have to learn new ways to win. This can mean different techniques, tricks or tactics that the older child hasn't seen before. As children grow together through a sport, younger siblings have someone that they can ask for advice. We often hear about siblings being roommates, and the younger Claude brothers in biathlon have talked about how they would ask the eldest, Florent, for advice about how everything worked on the World Cup tour. So the role of an older sibling is not just about discovering the physical skills and techniques of a sport, but also psychological, in providing reinforcement and support, and social, in helping provide an understanding of the social context in which the sport takes place. Also, the nature of siblings' interactions will change over time. At a younger age, it's more likely to be about playing together, learning skills, and having a strong relationship. As they grow older, it can be more about crit critiquing technique. I live opposite a cricket club, and we often see that younger children will play their version of cricket just to play, whilst teenagers will spend more time in the practice nets, with one practicing bowling and the other batting, to hone those specialist skills. It's not all good news. As we've heard from Simone Foucard, having a more successful younger sibling can lead to feelings of resentment or jealousy. Younger children may be more inclined to gloat about their successes. There can also be a sense of more parental time being dedicated to the younger child, affecting other siblings. High levels of competition, rivalry and jealousy 
can lead to a child dropping out of a sport, where environments of respect and support mean that both children are more likely to continue to play. High levels of competitiveness between siblings, whether in a sporting context or not, is known as sibling rivalry. And it's not a constant. Siblings of the same sex, particularly brothers, experience stronger and more negative rivalries than sisters or brother-sister combinations. Perhaps that's where all the murderous brothers of mythology got it from, or perhaps the murderous brothers influence how brothers treat each other even now. With athletes, there's also an ebb and flow of rivalry. Rivalry is higher during a season than between seasons, which can make Christmas break for sibling biathletes a particularly difficult time. We should also bear in mind that even though they are similar, siblings are not the same. They will have different physiology, different psychology, different strengths and weaknesses. They will respond to training regimes in different ways, and there is a risk that we'll treat them the same as they go through a system. That's going to do a disservice to someone along the way. Some siblings will be very similar, some will be very different. And what that means for parents, clubs and coaches is that there is a need to stay flexible. So what about the parents? Well, there's a consensus generally that younger children are given more freedom by their parents, which means that they have more opportunity to engage in informal play and to take up sports which might have been denied to their older brother or sister. I've already mentioned the convenience factor for parents if a younger sibling goes into the same sport as their older brother or sister. There's also a learning effect for parents. You know more about the sport, how it works, how it's organised, what kit you need and so forth, when it's a second journey through the same system. In some sports we see clear, we see clear links between parental achievement and the careers of their children. There are many examples of children following a parent into a sport. More often than not, these are men, reflecting the longer standing of men's elite sport. There's just been more time for a second or third generation to grow up with a sport. But there are more examples of women coming through. Scottish long-distance runner Eilish McColgan has started to eclipse the career of her mother Liz. And Zara Phillips has had a longer and more successful career in three-day eventing than her mother, also known as Princess Anne. Generational sporting families seem to be a stronger feature in American sports, particularly where sport is seen as a passport out of poverty. A surprising number of generational sporting families feature an element of danger. A lot of emerging ski jumpers are the children of former competitors, and it happens in the pole vault and American football too. Almost as if participants in dangerous sports are actually more likely to encourage their children into them rather than less. I guess that's one way in which parenting can go too far. Another is excessive parental interference. The concept of soccer mum became quite well known and has been replaced recently by that of tiger parenting. This is where parents become super competitive on behalf of their children and it can backfire. Pushing your child forward, complaining when they're not selected, blaming others for a bad race, all these things are more about the parent than the child and can be damaging to performance. Letting the child manage their own destiny is way more likely to lead to a success in sports and b success in a family. There is a sweet spot for parents to find in bringing up a sporty child. It's a kind of Goldilocks moment. If you're too enthusiastic you become a tiger parent and that puts your child off. If you're not enthusiastic enough then the child thinks that you don't care and so they're more likely to drop out. But if you can get it right, it's called moderate or intermediate levels of caring in the literature, then you get a child who feels supported through the process 
but also independent and free to make their own decisions. Lastly, each family is a complex system which operates in a wider social and economic context. There is the education system, there are social networks, communities, local and regional sports facilities, sometimes the need to travel internationally on a regular basis. All of these will have an influence on the development of each individual young athlete. And siblings may react in different ways to different elements of this wider environment. Remember that sporting success is a rare thing for any child. A word of warning about younger children. Being younger is not enough in itself. A lot of the actual psychology and research in this sphere has been translated into the pop psychology of birth order. A writer called Frank Sullaway wrote a book in the mid-1990s which set out characteristics of oldest, mid and younger children. And these have turned into stereotypes wheeled out by lazy bloggers to give advice about parenting and personality. The Wikipedia page for birth order puts it very dryly. Birth order is often believed to have a profound and lasting effect on psychological development. This assertion has been repeatedly challenged. Just saying the second born will be better at sports doesn't make it so. There are so many other factors at play, from some of the family interactions I've talked about, to access to sporting facilities, physical development, personal interest, education and financial resources. There's a huge amount that goes into making an athlete, whatever level and whatever sport. So beware the people that say, oldest children can't be champions. Plenty are. We've now reached a bit of a break in the World Cup biathlon schedule, so there's no forecasting from me this week. Uh, That's because everybody's really gearing up for the World Championships, which will take place in Oberhof, Germany, from the 8th to the 19th of February. We'll have the whole gamut of racing over an 11-day period, and I'll have my previews and predictions for you next week in the run-up to the event. There is still biathlon happening, though. As well as some events at the junior and youth levels, the IBU Cup moves to Lenzerheide in Switzerland this week. The IBU Cup's kind of the second division of biathlon, where you'll see a lot of the junior biathletes, or those who've maybe been struggling at the top level and need to get a bit of confidence back while still racing. Some of the biathletes you'll have seen in the World Cup are choosing to race at Lenzerheide as part of their World Championship preparation, including representatives of some of the smaller nations. So the schedule for Lenzerheide, Wednesday the 25th of January, that's tomorrow, I'm recording this on Tuesday. So Wednesday the 25th, at 9.15 UK time is the women's individual over 15 kilometres. Also on Wednesday the 25th at 1 o'clock, the men's individual. Then on Friday the 27th, 9.30 in the morning for the women's sprint, followed by the men's sprint at 1 o'clock. Saturday we have the two pursuit races. The women's starts at 9.30 and the men's at 12.30. And then on Sunday, 29th of January, we have a double header of relays. We have a mixed relay at 9.30 in the morning, followed by a single mixed relay at 12.30. Now, I'm not going to make predictions for this week. It is such a melting pot of mid-ranking World Cup by athletes, top-tier people who've been struggling, and emerging up-and-coming talent that I wouldn't even know where to start. I am hoping that the racing will be shown live on Euro- EurovisionSports.tv or via BiathlonWorld.com, but I'm Not sure, I confess, I'm not sure. So we will find out together tomorrow morning. One last thing. Back 
to the story of Balder and Hodder at the start of this episode. Remember, Loki tricked Hodder into killing his brother Balder by giving him a spear made of the one thing that would kill him? Well, it didn't end there. Grieving the death of his son, Odin got together with a giantess called Rinda and had a child called Vali, who was specifically born with the life mission of avenging Balder's death. This was to be done by killing Hodder, and by a particularly gruesome revenge on Loki based on binding him with his own son's entrails. Sometimes sporting success is generational, and sometimes gruesome murder is too. Thank you for listening. You can find a transcript of this episode, along with links to all sorts of background information and sources, at skishootrepeat.podbean.com. Please do follow us on Twitter, at skishootrepeat. Please do get in touch um, via Twitter to tell me what's right and what's wrong. As I've said before, this podcast is built more on love than on knowledge, um, so please do fact check me and let me know who I've missed, um, sibling rivalries that I might not have spotted. Also, let me know what you'd like to hear about in future episodes. As I mentioned, I will be back next week to preview the racing at Oberhof for the World Championships. And I'm thinking I might also have a bit of a discussion about the history and cultural importance of snow. Thank you for listening to Ski, Shoot, Repeat. I've been Lizzie Boyle.